Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom of enterprise. And freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. When you can't trust the institutions charged with your financial and physical well-being, where do you turn? As the Federal Reserve exposes its own inherent flaws and the rest of the world decides to ditch the dollar, it's time to ask why and who is to blame? Well, when the government itself blames citizens for its own reckless behavior, the words of Dwight Eisenhower spring to mind when he said, the search for a scapegoat is the easiest of all hunting expeditions. Welcome back to Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On today's show, we talk the reckless Federal Reserve, de-dollarization, the real threat of China, and talk liberty on constitutional issues. I want to take a moment to say a special thank you to our listeners out in Evergreen, Alabama on WNWF 1470 AM and WPNS on 1140 AM. Thank you for being here. And remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American Constitution. The Federal Reserve goes before the Senate Banking Committee to answer questions on the Silicon Valley bank collapse, among other issues. Now, this is a, a fast-developing story, and to join us to speak about what happened in the hearings and associated paraphernalia to do with the banking crisis, we're joined by economics editor, Mr. Andrew Moran. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Thank you for having me, and I'll be sure to use my chat GBT for all the answers that you may have. <laughs> sure. I mean, as long as we want it written by a, a fairly mediocre left-leaning college student, <laughs> that those are the kind of answers we're after from our, our chat GTP. But now, Andrew, uh, obviously you watched the Senate hearings and the Republican Party, they they were really blaming the Fed for doing what the Fed does, weren't they? Yeah. So it was interesting because Michael Barr, he's the Fed vice chair for supervision. And if he, in his opening testimony, he was saying that the Federal Reserve saw weak spots at SVB as early as May 2022. And then a few months later, they actually gave it a, a, a lowered its its uh, management rating to I think it was fair. So they saw and so it's fine, too, because you, you and I talked about this a couple of shows ago, how these there should have been weaknesses spotted way before mm. that what happened happened in February and March. So that revelation for the Federal Reserve was pretty eye-opening to how uh, uh, pervasive the, the issues were at SVB. Now, does this mean that the warning signals were ignored? Because if, if you're operating in uh, the banking sector, you want things to be superb rating or at least extremely safe rating, whereas a fair management uh, structure warning. I mean, that's a warning, isn't it? That's not, hey, it's fair. It's okay. That's actually a, a warning sign. 
So were warning signs ignored? Exactly. And also, it can show how outdated the stress tests are, at least in this specific case. So a stress test is supposed to determine how well a bank can fare in a specific time period environment, whether it's rising interest rates or uh, lower GDP growth rate. So during the Senate banking hearing, that was some of the cases that these Republicans made is that, okay, well, if the SVB passed its stress tests, then how did all of this happen? And the Democrats on the other side were saying, well, see, it's, it's less regulation, it's a deregulation campaign campaign that fostered this environment of bank failures. Meanwhile, it's it had nothing to do with regulation for the collapse of SVB and more to do with, you know, the Federal Reserve's easy money policies, terrible management at, at the uh, at the SVB. What was interesting about SVB is that they, did, they didn't have a risk compliance officer or risk management offer, officer, but they had a diversity equity and inclusion officer. So it just shows how terribly managed this company was. You know, it, it's, it seems to me that the prioritizing of diversity in the human resource department over safety and investment uh, management, it's, it's a pervasive illness. ESG is at the very moment dying. You look at some of the numbers show, showing and the data showing it's been on a steady decline since its peak in 2020 or 2021. And it's understandable too, because a lot of Republican-led states, they're targeting, it was led by, of course, Ron DeSantis of Florida, but they're really targeting ESG and sustainable investing and how this, this woke investing isn't beneficiary, isn't benefiting investors or retirees. It's just more benefiting leftists and who want to impose their wokeology on Wall Street. Well, I, I think that's really the heart of the issue, isn't it? Um, you've got uh, responsible fiduciary officers and their job, they have, it, it's that, that old meme, isn't it? You had one job to do, and that's to securely grow the investment pot. And, and if they're taking into account other factors, any such factors will be a detriment well, there are many f- problems with ESG in itself. I think one of the also a thing that many people avoid talking about is how ESG and the fund managers and the companies that adopt ESG completely ignore the social and governance factors. It's all about being environmentally mm. friendly. There was I, I mentioned this with Jeff Charles, and I was talking about there was a CIBC report a year or two ago, and it talked about how a lot of energy companies that abided by the whole ESG nonsense. They were investing in Vladimir Putin's uh, energy companies. They were investing in Russia and. Com- Completely ignoring the authoritarian nature of Moscow, so I think, I think that's 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 what's one interesting factor. The other interesting factor is the idea of greenwashing. Now, greenwashing mm. is pervasive. You look at all the industry surveys; that is a common theme. People are so worried about is uh, this means that companies uh, will claim to be green even though they have no green policies whatsoever. So, a lot of authorities, uh, investing authorities, and governments they're trying to impose uh, standards that you abide by to at least have a modicum of ESG principles in your company. If you go down the local supermarket and you see uh, a pack of eggs, if you're fortunate to see a pack of eggs in the supermarket nowadays, uh, and it says it's a organic free range uh, eggs or, or organic free range meat, and it's all just labeling, it's all just advertising and doesn't actually have uh, a specific definition with which to determine this is this and that is that. Organic farming, although my family, we spend so much money on organic products, mainly because of my wife, uh, but organic destroyed the, the economy of Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka adopted the whole ESG principles. They had a 100% score on ESG ratings. What happened? Company completely collapsed. They have a food crisis. They have a humanitarian crisis, so much poverty. All these farmers that that did really well and were the, pretty much, uh, I would say, one of the breadbaskets of South, uh, South Asia, they became poor overnight because of the government 
Biden's insistence of adhering to Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and this whole sustainable investment fiasco that that just crashed the entire economy. And who knows if they'll ever be able to recover from that. You know, the, the funny thing about that, I followed that story quite closely. And it, it seems to me that the only time we've seen such a thing happen is when a country adopts socialism. And to me, it seems as though ESG and socialism, it's, it seems they're different sides of the same coin. Or am I far out on that? Well, with well, well, with ESG, I mean, it, it's it, especially with that whole Biden executive order. It's if the government's imposing this on mm. the people, whether it's retirement plans, executive orders, whatever the case. And then you have sort of backdoor too, whereby these leftist groups will go on social media and complain and whine and say, "Oh, look, I'm we're, we're going to boycott this company because it's not imposing one of these ESG principles." So you either have a government force or you have backdoor stealth style uh, yeah. uh, imposition by the state. Yeah, the, these uh, grassroots, I'm, I'm using the air quotes here when I say these, these grassroots activists, uh, you know, or party apparatchiks, as, as they used to be called. Uh, one more thing for you, Andrew, here. I've got a, a little excerpt I'd like to listen to and get your quick take on this. This is from Sherrod Brown during the Senate banking hearing. Just as there are no atheists in foxholes, it appears that when there is a bank crash, there are no libertarians in the Silicon Valley. What do you make of that, Andrew? It's, I, I, I cannot agree more with Sherrod Brown. I mean, I don't agree with a lot of government policy. Let's say student loans, for example. You know, the government will go after student loans. They'll go to the courts. They'll say the government shouldn't be in the business of student loans. But at the same time, a lot of conservatives or uh, on, let's say, in Silicon Valley, they'll say right away, oh, the government needs to intervene. The government needs to mm. prevent this whole banking crisis from happening. And the government just needs to spend all this money, print all this money, give all these well-connected executives and elites, you know, taxpayer dollars. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's important to stress how there isn't intellectual consistency whatsoever. You're only intellectually consistent when it's not impacting you, as it seems, as it did with Silicon Valley. Absolutely. No, uh, no freedoms ever came with the words, you know what the government needs to do? Andrew <laughs> Moran, thanks ever so much. We'll be back, right back with Andrew talking the de-dollarization campaign. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. And we're back with Andrew Rand, Chief Economist, Editor for LibertyNation.com. Now, Andrew, we talked earlier about the, the banking system, SVB. But what I really want to get into now, and I think this is quite an important topic, is de-dollarization. Now, you, you've been writing about de-dollarization since, I guess, 2017, and now it's really just come to the fore, and you, you look across major networks. I say major, I think they had like 450,000 viewers in a day, which you know, CNN, for example, is now talking about de-dollarization. It's, it's come to the mainstream, which I think means it's come to a head. So first, can you tell us what is de-dollarization? Second, how does that impact everybody? And three, what form does this illness take? Okay, well, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're probably going to have to go one by one with me again because my brain... I have All right, what is de-dollarization? Give us the... Give us the... The prepared from Mark Angelides version, which needs must be somewhat low level, if you don't mind. So right now, the US dollar, it's the international reserve currency of the world. It's It's pretty much 
takes care of most it's most contracts in the world are settled in US dollars it has been since after the second world war probably accelerated after that when when the US got off the gold standard so the US dollar the de-dollarization means all these countries are no longer settling their transactions their contracts their all their trade in US dollars they're settling now in other currencies so a great example is let's let's use Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia has mostly settled its contracts in US dollars since the 1970s 1980s now they no longer want to do that now they want they're open to settling in other currencies mainly the chinese one so that's certainly not reals though right nobody wants to deal in reals no and you know everyone wants to want i mean russian president vladimir putin he said in a recent meeting with chinese uh, uh, president xi jinping and I did G this coming uh, that Xi Jinping, but settle, please <laughs> that uh, he uh, that Russia is going to settle its trade with Asian countries, uh, South Asia, South American countries in Chinese yuan. So that mm. is a remarkable turn of events in this whole broader de-dollarization campaign. Okay, now what does this mean for Americans? Because uh, as best as I can figure out, and as, as everybody's aware, I'm not an economist by any uh, standard, uh, but I think it seems pretty to- good, I, only from reading Andrew Moran on LibertyNation.com. That's where I get all of my economics information. Uh, so, it, I mean, I even know the names of Andrew's favorite economists, uh, Mr. Von Mises. Um, but it seems to me that if contracts are settled in other currencies, that means that the borrowing ability of America itself will suffer because people won't have foreign reserves, because they won't need foreign reserves to close out their contracts. Is that about right? Yeah, that's a critical that's a critical message too because if these countries are no longer depending on the US dollar, if they're no longer storing the greenback in their foreign exchange reserves, what happens to all these dollars? Well, they head back to the United States. And what happens if trillions of dollars head back into the United States? You have rampant price inflation and rampant inflation. So that is the key factor of why a lot of people should be concerned about the de-dollarization because for years, for decades, the US has been able to export its inflation to mm. the rest of the world. I mean, why do you think the U.S. government spends $2 billion to give Ethiopian shoes? Well, that's because that's $2 billion that exits the United States yeah. and then goes to, to, to a country in Africa. So that's part of the reason why there's so much wasteful spending also going on in the rest of the world is because the U.S. needs to get rid of these dollars to prevent hyperinflation from occurring in the United States. Yeah, I, I don't think that's something that many people consider is that by exporting the currency that, that you would, you'd imagine – that does value provides value within the within the United States by exporting it. You, you're essentially keeping inflation down, uh, and if maybe that's a reason why uh, president after president of all political stripes so keen to to give away taxpayer money. So Andrew, what do we need to look out for with the de-dollarization? Is, is it going to be rapid, one country following another, or is it going to be slow? Or and let, let's be very clear on this: is it certain to happen that more countries will join this this almost campaign for de-dollarization? Well, I've been writing for the last few years that this is going to be a slow, methodical approach. Because I mean, let's let's use the, the U.S. Treasury holdings as an example. China China didn't just suddenly dump its holdings of U.S. debt. It's been mm. gradually reducing its holdings, which is important for China. Because then, if they were to dump it overnight, they would use a, they would lose a trillion dollars, crash the economy, perhaps. So I think this is going to be a. I, mean, I find it amazing how this is just accelerating under President Joe Biden. Because out of nowhere, you have Russia, China, uh, the BRICS countries saying, "Yeah." You know, we want to get off the U.S. dollar, and now the and now you know China's brokering deals between the Saudis and Iran, and they're brokering deals between Syria and and Saudi Arabia. So I find these 
these developments are critical to the whole de-dollarization campaign. Uh, last summer, when um, uh, Putin was meeting with the BRICS countries, they said that they're going to foster in an era of BRICS currencies. So it's going to be a basket of currencies traded on international exchange, and therefore you no longer need to depend on the U.S. dollar. These countries can avoid all these sanctions, and pretty much the pow- the weaponization of the dollar no longer holds any muster. I think that's going to be critical. The U.S. can no longer be the foreign policy king because the dollar is no longer king eventually in the future. Is this, uh, and I hate to bring it back to eggs as we often do when talking economics, uh, but this is a different egg mention. So is this a chicken or an egg scenario? As in, was using uh, American financial power abroad, was that the impetus for the reason why countries want to move away from using the dollar? Because then they can essentially escape any fiscal sanctions that are being applied or, or any fiscal yeah. pressure that's being applied? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You look at oh, the aftermath. So, so it was it was the chicken first, not the egg. <laughs> in, uh, in, in the aftermath of Russia invading Ukraine, the, the Western community, uh, they started banning Russia from participating in international commerce. They banned them from the SWIFT system. They banned them from yeah. you know raising capital in the, in the capital markets. So by no longer depending on the US dollar and relying more on rubles, yuan, bricks, currencies, all, the, all those different uh, forms of money, you know the the financial power of the Washington and the dollar no longer reigns supreme. So all these countries, I mean, look at Iran. Iran has been uh, uh, frozen from the global marketplace because everyone depends on the dollar. If you no longer need to depend on the dollar, then Iran could just you know open the floodgates of its oil to the rest of the world and then settle its transactions in perhaps Saudi Riyal, perhaps Chinese yuan, all these different options. So yeah, and the we- the weaponization of dollar, which a lot of media outlets are now talking about, which is befuddling to me mm. it's 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 eroding as time goes by well they're only five years behind andrew moran but so is everybody else now andrew one final question on this for you how do we reverse it that's a good question i i, I can answer that question just because uh you know the u.s has been the super well actually let, let, let me let me rephrase it then sure why did it accelerate under joe biden what what's different that's actually an excellent question too. I was asked something similar on a different radio station, and I said the answer to that question of why all these things are happening perhaps can be in the approval ratings. If the American people don't have much faith in President Joe Biden, I doubt much of the international community sees any strength in the in the Biden presidency. I mean, I mean that that to foster, to piggyback on your on your overall question, why are all these things happening under Joe Biden? Why is rampant inflation happening? Why is Russia invading Ukraine happening? Why is China saying that? The things we've known for the last hundred years are changing. Why is that occurring? All these, all these things that 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 are that are going to transform the international economy are all happening under him. Probably because these world leaders don't have much faith in Biden that he will do anything to respond. Well, I think that's a fairly damning assessment, Andrew. But I find it hard to disagree with you, Andrew Moran. I want to thank you ever so much for being here. We will keep a track of this. Uh, please. Listeners, do go to LibertyNation.com and check out Andrew's piece on this warning. UN replacing the dollar is a national security issue. That's with Andrew Moran and a guest who we've got coming up right now, Dave Patterson, discussing the defense and the economics angles on that. Andrew, thanks ever so much for being here. Thank you for having me. America is free. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise. 
and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. President Joe Biden has a somewhat strife-filled relationship with the second largest superpower, China, from questions about his family business dealings to his confusing rhetoric compared to actions. But what to make of the mixed messaging and how many fronts can the president battle his confrontations? Well, we're fortunate to have with us today former Principal Deputy Undersecretary of Defense Controller, a man who knows all things defense and Chinese, Mr. Dave Patterson. Thanks for being back with us, Dave. Hi, Mark. Glad to be with you. So, Dave, it seems to me that Biden is forever caught between a political rock and hard place when it comes to China. He has to appear firm publicly, but in terms of policy, we're getting a very different story. And I think that many people believe that the, let's say the US lunch is being eaten by chopsticks. What's your take? Well, I think it goes to the fact that uh, the Biden administration has a vague, uh, obscure strategy to deal with China to begin with. When you look at their uh, rhetoric, they call China a pacing challenge. Mm. I got to tell you, Mark, a pacing challenge is when you're out jogging with your buddy and he's making a faster uh, time than you are and you're trying to keep up. That's a pacing challenge. China is a threat. And it also is doing a pretty good job of both psychological and geographical denying access to, uh, for example, the South China Sea, Straits of uh, Taiwan. And I I think that it's just basic uh, lack of a coherent strategy. We we see a lot about how each superpower is really trying to apply itself as an, let's call it an ally uh, of people on the world stage. And we're seeing this in South America and uh, most notably Africa, where uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris is, or I was going to call her President Kamala Harris and do a Joe Biden there. Uh, six times in February, I believe, he called her President Harris. Um, where she's gone in some way, I mean, it's claimed that she's gone to build up like a, a public uh, announcement of empowering women in Africa. But really, it seems to me that it's it's trying to counterbalance China's economic sway in the region. Um, but aren't we missing a trick with uh, all the money that's flooding in from China. Is there any way to combat that without spending billions, perhaps trillions of taxpayer dollars? Well, I think there is. And uh, you know, the Bush administration, W, uh, managed to take American prowess and direct it toward real problems that the uh, that the Africans are having uh and and really targeting specific places. For example, HIV was a, a huge success for the Bush administration. And looking at specific places to target your efforts, I think that the uh, uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo Congo would be a good place to to start. I know that there is a lot of uh, c- concern about uh, human rights and. But they have a, a president now who is fairly well founded in, uh, in in the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church there has a significant influence. And I think we could easily use uh, the the religious aspects to be uh, helpful, and as well as being helpful to ourselves in terms of establishing some sort of presence. So I, 
I find it interesting that you should uh, talk about the vice president. I mean, honestly, to have a conversation about the vice president with any sort of gravitas is mm. just ludicrous. I mean, I mean, who would know she was, had left the country? Who would know that she was there? Well, the, the one person who is fully aware that she's there is uh, actor, British actor Idris Elba, who runs some kind of foundation in Africa. And uh, I was reading a, a brief piece uh, about him in The Hill recently, and he was asked, do you think uh, Vice President Harris would be a good president? And he said, uh, oh, of course you would. And I wonder how much attention he actually pays to American politics, because I think for people who do pay attention to politics and policy and polit political messaging as well. She She's very much, uh, I, I guess the term is a cipher. She hasn't really fulfilled any role other than uh, fulfilling some kind of quota for Joe Biden when he promised to, to hire a woman of color for the vice president's role. Now, let, let's move on to Taiwan. You mentioned that was there some strategic issues in the Straits of Taiwan. And this week, the uh, the prime minister of Taiwan came to the United States and didn't receive a White House welcome. Now, th this strikes me as strange, seeing as we hear all the rhetoric about how Taiwan is such an ally and how uh, President Biden has come dangerously close to citing Article 5 of the NATO Treaty uh, with defending Taiwan, which of course isn't anything to do with NATO, uh, saying that you know we're obliged to support our uh, our allies, uh, be, that being Taiwan, and, and yet no White House visit, no pomp and circumstance. What's going on? Well, I, I think that you have to put it in context. Um, Taiwanese officials frequently uh, transit the U.S. through New York to go to Central and South America on uh, diplomatic or official visits and so to to, to really uh, uh put anything more into into that to read anything more uh i i think is is not accurate uh and of course uh, the president of uh of taiwan is going to uh central america to uh guatemala and belize to shore up their uh taiwanese uh presence so that uh, they'll not uh, jump ship as Honduras did recently in terms of diplomatic recognition of uh, mainland China versus Taiwan. And I think that that's what uh, she's uh, principally looking forward to in terms of their visit, her visit to Central America. On the way back, however, she's going to stop through uh, Los Angeles and spend some time at the uh, Reagan Presidential Library with uh, Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy. That's going to be an important meeting mm -hmm. for them. And probably more would be done with McCarthy than with, you know, a presidential uh, meeting with uh, Biden, which he will probably forget, you know, minutes later. Of course, you know, he, he he will get the free ice cream, of course, you know, where he, that they reward him with whenever visiting dignitaries come to town. So there's also been uh, quite a bit about TikTok, the social media behemoth uh, at the moment, with the, the hearings about whether it's a threat or not to America. Uh, and it seems that this is quite a divisive issue between the parties. What's your take on it? 
I think TikTok is an extraordinarily uh, a huge threat to to America. When you consider that a uh, an app that uh, 150 million people have on their telephones is gathering information, uh, personal, professional, uh, financial, uh, anything you have on your phone is now uh, available to to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I think that that's a threat, and uh, it is designed to do that. I mean, it's not like it's an accident. Uh, the application is designed to to gather and, and uh, categorize information, and it does. And so, I think that when your uh, when your uh, teenagers are uh, chatting uh, amongst their friends, that it's just not about their chat that's being uh, accumulated and categorized. It's about everything on their phone because that's what TikTok application does. It's an intrusive application that uh, tells the Chinese where you are, what you do, what you buy, what you say, and, and what you text. And so consequently, uh, the, the Chinese are becoming more and more intrusive into everyday Americans' life, and that is not a good thing for us. Okay, and so what is the the final defense position on China at the moment? It's not a single point position, I think. I think there are those uh, who are entrusted with having to meet the Chinese face to face, like uh, Commander of Indo Pacific Command and the uh, and and the military. Uh, service commands that are under Indo-Pacific Command, they have a very different view than uh, than the Biden administration in Washington, D.C., because they face them every day. They see them as a challenge that is a threat and not a pacing, pacing uh, challenge. challenge. So, I mean, they, they're constantly talking about how to uh, shore up uh, U.S. defenses in the Pacific, and uh, you... If you look at the budget, you know, they're putting their money where their uh, mouth is. And the budget for Indo-Pacific has been increased to make sure that uh, the capability to meet and defeat uh, China mischief is there. Good to know. Dave Patterson, thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on, Mark. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Illegal immigration is getting all the headlines this week, most notably out of the Supreme Court. But is this a First Amendment issue advising someone to cross the border illegally? Well, to help delve into that and other issues out of the Supreme Court, we're joined once again by Liberty Nation's legal affairs editor, host of the excellent Uprising podcast, and international traveler, man about town, Mr. Scott D. Casenza, Esquire. Thanks for coming on, Scott. It's the man about town that always gets you, Mark. Thank you so much for uh, for the introduction. I, I avoid terms like gadfly, you know, for your benefit. Um, but I don't, <laughs> I don't appreciate it. So, Scott, uh, Supreme <clears throat> Court, they're hearing a, a case. But there's a, there's a big First Amendment aspect to this case, which I think has gone largely unnoticed or at least unreported by those who've been focusing on the illegal immigration question. Could you give us the outline on that, please? Well, the case was argued this week. It's U.S. v. Hansen, and uh, Mr. Hansen is uh, universally subscribed as a horrible person. He defrauded uh, many, many people who wished to become U.S. citizens, and the method of his uh, fraud was that he convinced them he had access to a special program that allowed for adult adoptions. 
which would then facilitate citizenship. And if that sounds silly, then uh, I understand that it does because it doesn't exist. But to these people who didn't have any sophisticated uh, way to determine whether it was real or not, they believed him to the tune of millions of dollars and uh, uh, over a hundred, I think at least uh, victims. Now, he has been convicted of many crimes, and he won't be getting out of uh, federal prison anytime soon because of all of the crimes that he committed in order to facilitate that fraud. But one of the things he was convicted of was aiding and abetting a uh, an alien to break the law and come here illegally and to stay here uh, in violation of the law once they were already here. And he's challenging that conviction. His uh, he's the ACLU is representing him and saying that those convictions were actually a result of his free speech and then can't be criminalized. OK, so the, the heart of the issue here is that he knowingly lied to his defrauded clients. I guess we call them clients, victims. Um, but is that covered by free speech? What does the Supreme Court say well, the, on this the matter? Fraud, the fraud aspect of it is separate from. Of course, from of the course. criminality of his speech issue. That's that's I just give that as background. Sure. Uh, th- that, that's the background of the case. The question before the court is, can you say to somebody who's, for instance, in the country illegally, I think you should stay here, for instance, if you said that sentence to someone and you knew that that was a violation of the law for them to stay here, can the government then prosecute you criminally for that statement? Or is that a part of your First Amendment protected free speech right to, to suggest that that person should do something that in and of itself is violative of the law. And that was the question argued before the Supreme Court. Now, before we get to what the Supreme Court actually determined, obviously they haven't given a ruling yet, um, but which, which direction their, uh, their thinking went, I, I think it's really important to point out that this is a, quite a significant question to be asked, because if we take your example there of somebody saying, I think you should stay in this country. Now, we have numerous uh, NGOs, nonprofits uh, helping illegal immigrants into the United States uh, to either find a legal route to stay in the United States, but they're encouraging them through after essentially doing a violation of crossing the border illegally, they're encouraging them to continue with unregistered presence within the United States. So I guess the question in Hansen actually applies, could very well apply to those groups as well. Is that about right? Well, that is about right. The There is a solar system there that, that revolves around uh, helping folks. Uh, I mean, you know, there were over a couple million dollars uh, that they paid. So there's money to be had both from the customer side of things, if you will, and also the the sort of NGO 501c3 side of things. But I think you're actually thinking too small, Mark. I want to expand it from that solar system out to the Please. universe. If the federal government can criminalize speech that says that you can do do something illegal, how about, well, I think you should go ahead and protest in the town square, even though perhaps uh, they've they've said protesting that day is illegal. Uh, can we then extrapolate this out to other ways in which the federal government may wish to tell someone, hey, you can't say that. Uh, and is that OK? I, I think that to me is the, the crux of the issue and how I suspect the Supreme Court will be analyzing it, not just with respect to how it affects these immigration agencies and issues, but but the broader law. When can the government tell us that something is illegal to say? Now that the yeah, exactly, I mean that it really is. It 
It's the, it's a, I think this, this represents like a linchpin case for something that can be extrapolated out because if the Supreme Court rules in the First Amendment free speech favor, as in the government does not have right to tell or to, to criminalize certain speech here, then surely that would apply in, in, in a, a swath of cases that uh, are, are bound to come up over the next decade, two decades. And we, uh, I mean, how does this? How how was the? How were the justices' thoughts on this? Did we get an, any indication of? Well, I won't be telling you about their thoughts. I can discuss what they. Sorry, said. Their, their their speech, <laughs> you know, their words. You're always after me for their uh, for the prediction, and uh, and Scott DiCasenza is Liberty Nation's <laughs> resident psychic. Uh, does yeah, tea leave readings on Tuesdays and Thursdays? I'm looking for my magic eight ball, and I don't see it here on the uh, on the desk. Um, I will tell you that there didn't seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasm for the notion that 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 it was okay to make this speech illegal. Um, Justice Thomas, I think, was perhaps the most outwardly skeptical, if anyone was, and his skepticism was not particularly robust. It seemed like uh, Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor was the most robust defender, I think, of free speech on the day, and really went after. Um, uh, the advocates and, 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 you know, talked about how this was uh, novel in at least one way, which was that, uh, you know, violating our immigration laws uh, are is often not a criminal act. It is violative of our civil law. Right. So you, you can be forced to leave, but you, you won't be imprisoned, especially for like a first time type violation. Sure. But here, the penalty for the person who would have advised that person to break the law is actually greater than the than the underlying crime, so the solicitation uh, is greater than the completed act, which is uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor says it's it's unique in, in in legal history if that if that were to actually follow. So I trust her and her clerk's research on that. If she says it is the first time, then uh, that it's a staggering. Uh, you, you know, I, I I also believe that her research is solid despite my uh, my my issues with her jurisprudence in general. Um, but yes, I, well, I find it hard to believe that anything is unique. Uh, well, there's nothing some, new under the sun as Ecclesiastes. She, she has <laughs> actually reported uh, counterfactually in the right. past uh, from with questions from the bench. But I think that that's probably an outlier. And, uh, sure. I, you know, in any case, it's certainly not common. Uh, and it really does. I think. It's troublesome. So are you saying that there was at least appeared to be some in the words that were spoken by the justices, there appears to be some broad consensus on this. Uh, I, I would not use the word consensus unless I saw a, a vote. I sure. would say that it, the, the winds seem to be blowing in favor of uh, <laughs> if I were a betting man, I would be, I would be betting on Mr. Hansen's uh, chances at the Supreme court rather than the federal government. So I think that's the best way to, to play it. Um, if I had, if I had to pick one as a winner and one as a loser, I would pick Hansen uh, as the winner in this case. Okay. Well, we know that uh, obviously with the Supreme Court, it's always best to prepare to be disappointed. Uh, and then you're never too disappointed if you're already prepared to be disappointed. They Scott, often, they, they rarely let me down when I expect to be disappointed by them. Absolutely right. Scott DeCasenza, thank you ever so much for joining us. And I believe you will you have something on LibertyNation.com on this topic. Thanks very much. I have. Thank you, Mark. And that's just about it for this week's edition of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. 
My thanks to our guests, Andrew Moran, Dave Patterson, and Scott Cassenza. And of course, to you at home for joining us as we delve deep into the politics and economics of America today. My parting shot for this week comes from Edward Abbey, who wrote, quote, simply because humankind have the power to meddle or manage or exercise stewardship in every nook and cranny of the world does not mean that we have the right to do so, even less the obligation, end quote. Now, when we consider how the government and the Fed hand in hand seek to control each aspect of our taxpayer dollars, that we have not through choice in most cases granted to their stewardship. Trust must be more than desired. It must be demanded for it. It's not merely our dollars and cents that are in the hands of those who seek to rule, but rather the future of the world our children will inhabit and inherit and be forced to reckon with. We should never let their birthright go without accountability. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.